do design decisions involve value judgments? Andy Halliwell has gone and posted this question on LinkedIn as part of our redesigning D&T project and debates. I think this is a really tricky one to answer and our expert group felt that it was an important question that needed debating. Do design decisions involve value judgments? I think firstly, I'd be saying, what do you mean by a value judgment, a values judgment? And maybe in your response to Andy's question, you'll explore what you understand and what your views are of what value judgments are and then whether they actually impinge on or affect the design decisions that designers make and also that children make in D&T lessons. So do join the debate. We're always open to conversation and discussion on this. But for now, on to the next episode. This is the Talking D&T podcast, episode 34. Welcome to the Talking D&T podcast with me, Alison Hardy, a podcast for anybody interested in design and technology education, where I'll be sharing news, views, ideas and opinions about D&T. This week's episode is the second of four with Court Seaman. Earlier this week, you'll have heard Court talk about his background and his time in design and technology education and how that has framed his thinking about design and technology epistemology. At the end of the last episode, he began to talk about technocy, which is his word for defining and framing design and technology epistemology. That is the way we structure knowledge in design and technology. If you've been listening to the podcast, you'll know that's something that I'm exploring and discussing with other people and just sort of thinking my ideas out loud. So I wanted Court to come on and explain this idea about technocy. So in this episode, he goes into the principles and frameworks and ideas behind technocy in more depth. There are two more episodes to follow, so listen out for those. But for now, enjoy this second episode. A really exciting aspect of technocy education and all forms of designing and working technologically in the classroom is what I refer to as the humanization effect of making the world. That is, designing and working technologically when pedagogy is disciplined to the holistic form implied in technology theory, the act humanizes us. It is how humans create and recreate their world schema, their mental models of reality their way of comprehending applied synthesis of themselves as agents in the world outside the mind. So technology theory says that all technology knowledge mutually transforms both the world external to the mind and the world or mental models of our inner cognitive schema. And because of this thesis of how designing and working technologically is a mutually transforming phenomenon, I assert it is a rare area in the school curriculum that also powerfully contributes to our humanization, a truly important idea in technology education. Humans socially and culturally make themselves when they engage in deliberate and contextually validating social material praxis. Through the social and technical processes of investigating and practically integrating knowledge and environmental resources into artifacts. An artifact in this context refers to the production of anything made by humans that transformed natural digital processed resources. Not only are 
such resources transformed into objects, but also the learner is transformed as the subject, being the agent of the transformation process. Human transformation is more overtly fostered when designing and working technologically requires the student to learn, contextually validate, classify that learning, and critically reflect on the new knowledge, skills, and social insights acquired through the act of producing the said artefact. The student comes out changed alongside the change that has occurred to the resources ultimately drawn from our habitat to produce the product. And this, this connection that technology makes to our habitat is why technology has to engage in sustainability questions. It's not an option. Because if we ignore it, we're actually ignoring the proper understanding of technology knowledge. Students have changed in that they have emerged from a deliberate and reflective empirical activity with new knowledge, new social awareness, new motor practice as a result of seeking to validate their designs for a set context of application. Even if the application was familiar, the change is at least one of affirmation prior knowledge, skills, social insight being tested. If the educational experience of designing and working technologically was based on deliberate co-transformation strategies of learning, and if the learner builds new knowledge, social and practical skills, then both an object and a transformed person is produced. The transformed products of humanised education in design and technology may therefore be empirically observed by the teacher as both the object produced, so something is produced, and the subject that is producing it, that is the student. The transformed object, that is the thing being produced, the code, the, the, the food tech product and so on, uh, gives evidence in learning and assessment of the transformed student, the subject, but equally the transformed student, the subject, has to give you evidence of the transformed object that they produced. So this is a key idea in how technology education is a transforming form of teaching and learning. When these co-transformations are both given as evidence for meeting the researched requirements of the object to succeed in the applied social and material context in which it is intended to function, we then can assert a basis for validating the humanization of the design and technology lesson. And I refer to this co-transformation thesis and the need to validate the object against the applied context for best fit as the unique epistemic foundations of design and technology as a core discipline in its own right. So let me sum this up. Technology theory begins with an intention, a purpose, and there is a boundary of context to understand for its application. So students have to have a reason to do something and they have to sort of set a boundary of what they're going to include and what they're not going to include as their primary measures. And they have to do this as an investigative process up front. Your purpose might be to create a table for your mother's uh, snug or her living room as opposed to creating a table for a boardroom. These two have the same purpose, create a table, but their bounded contexts are different. So you can see how context is something that defines uh, the design and criteria to validate the optimised goodness of fit for your ideas. 
The purpose and context is thus definitive and must be understood as mutually reliant on each other. You cannot define purpose of a project without reference to its bounded context, its initial intended application of use. And I say initial because it's difficult as, as years go by of how something is going to be used later on in a different context. And by the way, these two things, these definitive constructs, drive unique methodologies of knowledge discovery and evolution for design for designing and working technologically, for what you have to investigate. So it's the foundations of technology education research. You cannot rationally claim you have a designed, a, uh, you have designed an artifact, a habitat or a system, uh, or coded robot, or uh, visualized communication, unless you defend it against the boundary and purpose factors to empirically validate your knowledge. Technological knowledge is contextualized knowledge, which is perhaps why many see tacit knowledge as important to teaching and learning in design technology. It is also why I think every undergraduate initial teacher education degree ought to include the uh, critical study of John Dewey's work, such as his call for a theory of experience in education and democracy in education, because of the uh, inescapable social dimension of designing and working technologically. And related to this, I'd encourage all undergraduate degrees to uh, look up uh, Roger Amelia in terms of the material and spatial context of creativity and, and technological knowledge. Next, um, I want to introduce the listeners to a concept called the classification of technology knowledge by way of genres. And genres uh, comes from the idea of families of something. So genres in this case is the family of technology that look familiar to each other. And so you'd have subfamilies that don't look familiar at all to each other. And let, let's have a look at how this works. All matured forms of knowledge, that is, to be able to say you're a discipline, and I believe design technology is a discipline, particularly technology knowledge, which requires design as, as a, uh, an essential partner to that knowledge, have a unique way to consistently and universally classify the world through the frame of their knowledge system. So technology knowledge also has these patterns. And the one I like to use is the classification system I call technology genre theory, which uses the system and form of technicity as a classification system. And just as a side note here, I want to tip my hat to Dr. Angela Turner at Southern Cross University because her PhD uh, an empirical study uh, showed how you can test and create a measure of technology genres in terms of an index of how closely or unrelated they are to each other, but therefore uh, the degree to which genres are part of the family or part of a new family. And listeners can contact Angela or myself for how to determine that from an um, empirical method point of view. Hi, so now that we've got this uh, broad background idea of uh, genres and technology, I just want to recap a few things, which I think is where we start to hit the road in terms of the actual act of teaching, learning and assessment. And so, so far, what you've heard is uh, what may seem a little bit uh, abstract for you, but it's really essential work in knowledge domain to uh, build a frame to understand the world of the discipline you're working in. So the key idea here is that all technological work is contextual. If you're an engineer and you're building a bridge across uh, one side of a river to another, 
where you are in the river and what's happening on either side and and the and the uh, and the nature of the of the of the of the span that you have to tackle um, <clears throat> is a highly contextual set of measures you have to take and you know and they bring in geotech engineers to tell you what's going on underneath the footings and so on it's a highly contextual form just because you know how to build a bridge there doesn't mean that's exactly the same design you have to build a, a 100 meters up the same river but it's also the same in anything else. So genres gives you that framework. So when you teach and when you assess technology genres or what we generally call technology genre theory is something that should feature in all your lessons. Okay. You know, as fundamental as um, add and subtract, uh, multiply and divide. Uh, these are fundamental um, operators in, in, in the early stages of learning maths. Uh, as well as number. Well, you've got similar things. And in, in the technology world, in the designing and working technologically uh, mode of teaching, uh, you would want to make sure that the student completely understands that there is this framework as well, where they have to understand and, and dig into the purpose and the context with the purpose, that they investigate that to get their success criteria ready and defend it against that criteria. Then they have to carefully select their system of what they're reworking and reshaping, you know, in the in the resistant material world, it's all that stuff. It's all the food, it's all the wood, timber, metals, plastics, you name it. Um, in the digital world, there's there's a lot you're uh, manipulating there. You're manipulating information for a start. You're, you're manipulating how you're intending to uh, value number and code. Um, <clears throat> but you can't manipulate those things unless you perceive it as something that you can manipulate. And to do that, you have to have uh, something to do it with. Now in the resistant material world, the genre theory says you need a system of tools. That could be your teeth, it could be your hands, but it could also be um, what we extend with our tools, our chisels, our scissors, our sewing machines, our cooking equipment. In the digital world, it's our different kinds of programming tools, different kinds of computer tools. But neither of those make sense uh, in the technology genre theory unless there's some sort of intelligence behind it that sees that they can make sense. And we call that the agency. And this is where the student's uh, cognitive development comes in. <clears throat> Your job as a designing and working technologically oriented teacher is to sort of let the student know, and maybe through guided discovery, if it's the first time they come across a certain technological process, is to see that there's a purpose and context that needs to be achieved. They, they have to understand uh, the relationship between the, uh, the material and digital world and the tool system world. And then uh, they have to see that there is reflective knowledge to bring that together. And that it's brought together in the form of the person's agency. You have to have agency. And agency is the values, it's the knowledge system, it's the mental schema. Um, it's the social influence uh, uh, factors that help you produce uh, the outcome towards the purpose and context, integrating those materials, tools, agency combinations. Bringing that together uh, gives you a classification system. So we can have a, uh, in the traditional sense, we can have a woodwork classification system. That's one genre. And then there's families of wood-related uh, classifications. So sort of genres which are very close to the central woods genre. Then you might have something completely different, which might be the food tech genre compared to the food hospitality genre. They're two slightly different genres there again. When I design and uh, build, for example, some lovely uh, soft furniture, uh, I might do it for my home in a certain room, 
so I picked the colors, I picked the fabric, I picked some, uh, I, some equipment to do with steel and reinforcing structures, I used timber. Um, so these are all my materials, so these are all mixed genres, I would have textiles genres, I would have uh, metals genres, I'd have uh, timber genres, and so I would be uh, using these different genres together to form the project. So every every project-based de working designing uh, technologically uh, is typically of a uh, of a mixed genre of um, of materials, tools, and agency for uh, the common purpose and context. Uh, so this is this is something that if the if the process of teaching understands this and makes this explicit and helps people discover the properties of these things, you can also work backwards. You know, you can deconstruct any uh, any uh, designed and made thing or any design and made code and uh, and look at how something was manipulating something else look at the knowledge that was required behind it see how that was working towards the ultimate final um, thing produced uh, like the program that had to work and the and the furniture that I was building had to work in the room that is it had to hold me and everything I wanted had to feel comfortable had to work with the colors I wanted in the room uh, the aesthetics, um, all these context variables and um, the purpose of us has to work. So let's finish on that, that the technology genre theory or technology genre theory, uh, which I want to uh, tip my hat off here a bit to uh, Dr. Angela Turner at Southern Cross University. Her PhD work helped develop an empirical measure of the indices between how close and how far apart uh, two genres uh, are, which is worthwhile reading if you get a chance. And here we have a system to classify our different forms of technology knowledge, which is fantastic. So now we have a classification system. We can use that to guide our lesson structures and programs. Okay, so that was the second of four episodes, which I hope you enjoyed listening to that one. The next one will be out shortly. Um, listen out for that one. It'll come into your feed if you subscribe to the podcast in all the usual places. And in the next one, Court starts to give some further examples about technicy. And he, and he uses a really great comparison about literacy and technicy to help us understand this framework and this idea about epistemology in a clearer way. And he also starts to talk about what makes it unique and therefore what makes design and technology as a subject unique with its own epistemology. So as ever, thanks for listening. And if you have any comments, thoughts or feedback, you can drop me an email via my website or you can find me on Twitter at Hardy underscore Allison. And also you will find some links to different publications from court in the show notes for this week's episode if you want to sort of dig a bit deeper and find out a bit more. You've been listening to the Talking DT podcast with me, Alison Hardy. You can connect with me on Twitter at Hardy underscore Alison. Show notes and transcripts for each podcast episode can be found on my website, alisonhardy.work. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.